Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Our section that we're going over today, Yitro or Jethro, covering Exodus chapter 18 through um, pretty much most of chapter 20, uh, start stopping off at verse 22-23. We've got lots of studies on this. I uh, recommend that you check them out, that uh, halal.info slash p17, parashah17, halal.info slash p17. I'll just give you a little bit of a roadmap for where we're going to be taking a look at today. You can call this the uh, spiritual nitro in Parashat Yitro. And one of the key things to remember as we go through this is that the Ten Commandments are a testimony. They're a testimony, a witness of the Holy One and also of heaven's plan for earth now and Le'olam Va'ed, or you know, over the horizon and beyond, or for, forever and ever, including in the day of the Lord and beyond. So, that is, you could say, the, the scope for where the world is going. And we see in this also that it is also a sense of where we get our identity where we discover you know who am i that question we get purpose you know why am i here and we also get goals as to you know where am i going and how do i get there now these are key questions that people ask themselves and they should ask themselves going through life Uh, some of the things that can get people um not really going with a sense of purpose in life is to not know who they are, to not know where they're going, and to not know why they exist. You know, the, there was a common saw that people will say, you know, a child will ask, well, why are we here? And the, the father will just reply, well, because we're here, just get on with it. So if you don't ask those questions as to why you're here, you could find yourself just groping around in the darkness, as Paul puts it, or floundering about, tossed by the seas, as the Apostle Yaakov puts it in the letter of James. One of the things we'll also be looking at today is, this is a, you could say, a very key spiritual equation that we have in the Word, and that is that the, the new birth, you know, to be reborn, to have the second birth, equals Sinai, what we're looking at today here, and also how it gets expounded, and we'll read about that in uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and especially in Deuteronomy. So that testimony, Sinai, plus the Spirit of God, equals the New Covenant. New birth equals Sinai plus Spirit, and the Sinai plus the Spirit equals the New Covenant. So that's a very important message that we can have with our brothers and sisters in the body of Messiah, because that has been 
sometimes seen over the the past 2000 years at as being at odds with each other uh sinai and the spirit and we'll be kind of looking at a couple of passages where people have gotten this idea that they are at odds with each other that the spirit of god you know as as one passage from paul puts it that has been uh, taken out of the context that it needs to be in you know the letter kills but the spirit brings life well then that's taken to mean well if you follow the law of god that will kill you but if you follow the spirit of god that will give you life so it's key to actually understand what paul is getting at and the underlying parts of that because it is also a misunderstanding that goes into the teachings in the sermon of the mount you know we have talked about this before with the sermon on the mount there in matthew and the sermon on the plain over in the gospel of luke that if you get the wrong idea of where yeshua was going when he said you've heard it said but i tell you you can think that sinai and the spirit of god are at odds with each other and that yeshua came to make the uh this enmity between sinai and the spirit go away so what we can actually see in this equation here the new birth equals sinai plus the spirit equals the new covenant the starting point of it is a new heart new desires that are directed by sinai by the law of god by the testimony of god by these key 10 words these 10 statements these 10 commandments and that is powered by the spirit of god that's the starting point now going on further for the destination and the path to get to where you're going is to know the holy one to know the creator of heaven and earth to know the one who took israel out of the house of slavery out of the house of bondage that takes each one of us out of our house of bondage to freedom which is why then you have the apostle yaakov say a couple of times in his letter of james that the he calls it the law of liberty the law of freedom so what is the result of going down this road that you are actually moving forward uh, from this life of guilt this life of the stain of the sins transgressions and iniquity the result of that is walking in the way of righteousness which is paul's point in uh, passages such as ephesians chapter 2 when he talks about the fruit the fruit of the spirit of god working on you is what and then he lists righteous characteristics righteous actions righteous way of life that is sinai plus the spirit equals the new covenant equals the new life so what we see here is that the result of this is we will be walking in say the footsteps the direction that the mashiach that yeshua taught us to walk in that showed us the example to walk in so it's not that he walked in it so that we won't have to in other words that the law is abolished so what we're actually seeing here is that rather than being at odds with each other sinai and the spirit rather they are 
tag team together, working together to get us where to where we need to go. And this this uh, moving, this new birth experience with Sinai plus the Spirit of God equaling the new life, this is what we memorialize with the annual, annual festivals of Pesach or Passover, you know, memorializing the freedom from the house of bondage, house of slavery, with matzot, the purging out of us, the old way of life, purging out of us the malice, the wickedness of the old way of life, and Shavuot, where we encounter the testimony of God, where we encounter the Spirit of God that makes all of this transformation possible. Because otherwise, it would be like the parable that Yeshua told about the man who had a, a demon in his house and he threw it out and swept the place queen clean and then the spirits went and saw that the house was empty unoccupied so that he gathered other spirits like as bad as himself and they all went in and occupied it again and as the punchline of the parable goes the situation at the end was worse than when he started in other words, that if you just purge out the old way of life and you don't fill your way of life with something different, then your situation can be worse than when you started. So, one of the key questions we're asking in this is the, the who am I question. So, in this, we can see some of these testimonies that we've read already so far in Exodus 19. We read about the kingdom of priests, the, and as uh, the apostle Peter puts it, the royal priesthood. And we see some other passages like in uh, Exodus 4 that we read a few portions earlier where Israel is called my son, my firstborn. And that is also a prophecy that comes later in talking about the exiles in Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 where it's talking about out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, I have called my son. We see that in Galatians chapter 3 where you see that the sons and daughters of God are those that are inherited or you could say adopted through faith or through their trust in the Christ Jesus and through Messiah Yeshua. And you see in uh, Yohanan's uh, first letter, his first epistle, uh, chapter 2, and going on in chapter 3, where he calls Israel the children of God. So let's uh, take a look at some of these, these passages here. Uh, first, a little bit of a rewind for the passage we just looked at in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 8. Moshe went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you up to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. 
So Moshe came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moshe brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now we'll see in a bit that this um, is something that the statement, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, um, is very interesting because as our passage ends in chapter 20 there, just after the ten words, the ten commandments are related, <laughs> then you, you start seeing the people shrinking back a little bit. Uh, shrinking back and saying, uh, we don't want God to directly talk to us, Moshe. You talk to us. You have the Lord convey words that don't have the Lord speak directly to us. So, when we were seen earlier about the, uh, in uh, this passage here was talking about, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, what is it that priests do? Uh, priests are the ones who bring the blessings, the, uh, the offerings of the people, the things that the people offer. Well, what is it that they are actually offering? As it's a, the topic that we get into when we get into the book of Vayikra or Leviticus, that the key path through, and we'll see this at the end of Exodus and going on into Vayikra, is the key path is to bring people closer to God. Now, as we see in the demonstration through the tabernacle, that this is something where the people are approaching through their offerings. Uh, either individually or uh, collectively, whether it be the leadership or the the people as a whole, like on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But the role of the priests is to bring the people to God. Now, as we'll read through in in Leviticus, and we'll see pictures of this also in Exodus itself about descriptions of these priests. But every priest has a function. And you'll see the examples that that the Apostle Paul brings out about the parts of the body. Not everything is an ear or a nose or a leg or an arm or a hand. Not everything is the same. Every part has its purpose. So what we see in the priesthood is there is a level of priests. There are those. There's the, the tribe of Levi. There is the descendants, the Kohanim, that come from the family of Aharon. And then within them, you have the, the specific priest going all the way up to the high priest. So, then you see that uh, there is a levels of distinction between who is actually working in particular realms. We, and we saw a little glimpse of that back in chapter 18 of Exodus with when uh, Yitro is giving his recommendations about how to structure the uh, the judiciary, you could see that the levels of the circuits of the judiciary of Israel, from the, the basic cases all the way up to the uh, very difficult cases that Moshe himself would work with. So, one of the things that you see with the basic message of Exodus 19 here, and what the Apostle Peter is getting at, is that each person is a 
part each person in israel plays a part to get the people closer to god even if your role as a priest is just to get people to the doorway of the tabernacle which is very interesting then that you have the image that yeshua talks about is i am the door and he talks about no one gets to the father but through me just like with the tabernacle you know you don't pull vault pull vault over <laughs> the boundary that goes around the tabernacle to get in no you go through the doorway and you go through in a very specific way and you see shadows of that with the instructions about the boundary around the mountain that you don't just waltz up to the mountain of god anytime you wish you come when you are called you come when the the trumpet blast comes and not before then so taking a little look at the passage in first peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 where it says but you are a chosen race which comes from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and Deuteronomy 10, 15, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That part comes from Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, a people for God's own possession. Uh, also found in Deuteronomy 4, 20, and 14, 2, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but you were now the people of God, and you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's passages from Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, and 2, verse 23. So, Hosea, by the way, is a, is a great warning for those who would say that, oh, well, uh, you have uh, passages where uh, it says uh, that, like the Apostle Paul says, well, now I'm going on to the nations. So then he's done with Israel. Well, you also recall that the Lord had said that he was divorcing Israel and divorcing Israel through the exiles. But you see in the message and uh, passages such as Hosea, and Hosea does it very dramatically with the uh, life of Hosea himself as a witness to this, but the other prophets also reflect this as well, this calling back, and you know you see it uh, foretold at the end of Deuteronomy as well. This calling back, this, you could say, mending of what was broken, so that the the um the sending away of israel the exiles the divorce of israel was necessary as a uh, correction but then to bring back and to remarry israel to bring israel back into the family and paul gives a illustration there in, in Romans chapter 11 of the, the tree and uses, instead of marriage, uses uh, <laughs> horticulture uh, with this and um, how an arborist would be grafting and, <laughs> and pruning a tree to bring new branches on, taking uh, un unproductive parts of the tree off and using that as an example of the natural-born parts of the tree, Israel, and the wild branches of the nations grafting those on. So, 
the passage here and uh, from the Apostle Yohanan in his first letter, 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 28, going through chapter 3, verse 5. Again, we're kind of dropping in the midst of this conversation that he's having there talking about the adoption of the nation's adopt- adoption of, frankly, all people into the family of God. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For such, for this reason, the world does not know him, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So, one of the key things we say, we see in this great passage, is the adoption of people into the family of God. And we also see that what makes for a harmonious and a relationship building experience is to uh, be uh, following along with the instructions and the teachings of the Father. And you see what brings the disharmony in here is lawlessness and uh, sin is a kind of apostolic terms uh, is a more general bucket of than what we see in the Tanakh and the Torah, uh, the Hebrew Bible, of sins, transgressions, and iniquities as being a, a um, escalating <laughs> um, spectrum of uh, deviation away from the teachings and the, the heart of God, you could say. Um, here we see that just the general bucket of sin is lawlessness being without the instruction of God. So, we see also that the appearance of the Mashiach was to take away these sins because that, as it says, in him there is no sin. And that is a lesson that we get a glimpse of in chapter 19 of Exodus where we have the boundary around the mountain because that is one lesson you have to come up here with first is that the creator of heaven and earth is other is other than the way things are you know and the prophets will express this different ways the lord is not a man uh, that he would be lying that he would um lead you down a different path to to deceive you you see other passages that the that the lord does not tempt anyone basically try to lead them astray but we do see that those people who are headed astray, they will uh, get a bit of correction, or as we see in the connection with uh, Pharaoh, will be hardened or uh, cemented into the direction that they're going. 
but in that case you know that was for to the greater good of the world to show which way leads to death and which way leads to life for the entire world so getting on into the meat of the parasha named yitro well who is the holy one we say well who am i well who is the holy one this testimony of the ten words um some things that you probably have encountered before is that uh, the numbering you know, we say the first commandment second commandment that can differ between different uh, religious traditions uh, the the jewish tradition will tend to take the quote first and second commandments um and well the first commandment and actually include what in many protestant uh interpretations of it will be the quote prelude to it so i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt that uh, in some protestant traditions can be seen as the prelude to it the meat of it of the first commandment being you shall have no other gods before me and uh, down to even um the orthodox christian uh, takes the passage very similar to the way that the the jews do in, in saying that the first commandment is i am the lord your god you you will have no other gods before me thinking that as being a complete statement a complete testimony and the uh the catholic tradition uh tends to incorporate both the what the protestants would call the first and second commandments and the prelude together into the first one so thus you would have um the the fourth commandment in jewish and protestant tradition ends up being the third commandment in the catholic tradition um it's not as some people would say that you that one was dropped it was just renumbered and split into different places like the tenth commandment in jewish and protestant traditions is split into the ninth and tenth commandment in the catholic tradition a slightly different emphasis but one of the things that you see throughout the ten statements is uh, something that the apostle yohanan points to in chapter four of his first letter first john chapter four verse twenty if someone says i love or agapo I love God, that selfless love, also translated charity. I love God, and but he hates his brother. He is a liar, for the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So, that old aphorism, show me, but don't tell me. So, show me you love me, don't tell me you love me. This expression of the ten words, the ten commandments, is a way to show that you love god show that you love your neighbor so the 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 greatest commandment love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and you know the new testament includes the the um understood aspect with all your mind as that's encapsulated in the shema that we sing every shabbat from deuteronomy chapter uh, six that this is incorporated together into the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment from Leviticus 1918 uh, do not hold a grudge against your brother but you shall love your neighbor as yourself that being the second greatest commandment 
all these incorporated into these 10 statements, these 10 words. Now, one thing that uh, people have over the centuries come up with various ways to uh, draw connections, to draw lines between them. This is, this is one that I always find quite helpful to draw connections between the 10 words that you have basically five different buckets of um, five pairings between the commandments that come up where you have uh, the, the first commandment where you basically are talking about uh, I am the Lord your God and don't have any other gods before me paired together with don't murder, which in other words, don't murder or erase the image of God, the image of the Lord. Uh, like we, we saw back in Genesis chapter 1, one important thing that's being communicated there is that uh, God made man and woman in the image of God. So thus, man and woman, humankind, is a reflection of God on earth. And we see that the ultimate man, we had the first man, as Paul puts it, the first man and the last man, or the second man, the second Adam, is the reflection in the Mashiach. And thus you see, like in Hebrews chapter 1, talks about the Mashiach, talks about Yeshua being the you know, direct representation of the Father, the direct representation of heaven on earth. So, the, the first bucket of thoughts between the f- first commandment and the sixth commandment being, do not remove the Lord from the earth. Second bucket would be about, you know, do not per- pervert the most important relationships in heaven and on earth. So thus with the second commandment to not have any idols perverts that most important relationship because it's creating a false equivalent to the true one in heaven, the true holy one. So instead you're creating uh, false representations and even pointing toward different deities And with the seventh commandment about no adultery, you are perverting then that second most important relationship, the second most important relationship of um, humankind is between husband and wife. And thus you see one of the things that has been a big assault in the past, uh, I guess we're going on 200 years with this, this assault on the idea of the family as being a key unit. And one of the things that's come up in, in common teaching today is um, about the idea that all of society is the family. So thus the, the family unit itself, not as important. Fathers, not as important. Mothers, not as important. Rather, you would have society itself be the parents. Uh, The wise ones of society know better than the parents. So listen to the wise ones of society and not your parents. That's some things that are being shoveled into the heads of uh, (laughs) the most impressionable young ones today. Another bucket that we get from the Ten Commandments, another collection of thoughts, the third collection of thoughts, about do not kidnap or hijack the Lord's reputation. Similar to what we saw before with idols, but with the third commandment, uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain, do not blaspheme, 
uh, blaspheme just means to make common. So, both in the uh, Greek representation of the scriptures and the apostolic writings, and also in Hebrew, that idea of vain blaspheming is to make common, to take what is other, to make it just like everything else, to make them equivalent or to make even lower than everything else. So, you're not dragging down the reputation of the Lord. And uh, interestingly enough, that, that is an important warning from the prophets about this, is that our actions, if we are associated, if we are associated and known to be called by the name of the Lord, and represent ourselves to be called by the name of the Lord, yet represent the Lord as someone different than he has represented himself as, we are dragging down the reputation of the Lord in the nations. Or as it says, you know, my name, my reputation is blasphemed among the nations because of you, because of what you've done. They are supposed to be kind of like what you saw in Exodus 18 here today with uh, when Moshe is relating to his father-in-law the great things that the Lord has done with uh, breaking the back of Mitzrayim and also then conquering Mitzrayim in the sea, uh, then Yitro said, wow, you know, that's that just fantastic and praise the things that the Lord has done. So, one of the, the, the pairings with that is uh, with, um, with the commandment number eight about do not steal. And interestingly enough, uh, the get into that when we get into the further explanation of all this in Deuteronomy, but interestingly enough, uh, kidnapping is a big aspect of uh, stealing here. So, you're actually stealing people, and that's a huge, huge no-no. That's why it goes up the level of being uh, things that are uh, just egregious to the egregious to the uh, relationships between people and relationships between ourselves and heaven. And thus, you can see elements of why the stain of um, slavery is such a bad stain on all of humankind and all human history. We'll see over time that the servitude that is talked about in Israel is of a different character than what is called chattel slavery or ownership of people, that they are not people anymore, that that has come down through history and other nations. And something that you'll see reflected throughout the Torah is that remember that these people who are working off a debt to you, they are still people and they have rights. You do not just treat them like they are nothing because they are still have the image of God. So, some other, uh, another, uh, the fourth collection, the, the fourth pairing of ideas that we have in the ten words, with the fourth commandment, to remember the Shabbat, to remember this memorial, this weekly memorial, that the Lord is the Creator. And, then paired together with um, the ninth commandment about uh, 
bearing false witness, uh, to testify accurately, to say, no, you will not testify falsely. And this, uh, just like we were talking about stealing, being very especially connected to kidnapping, bearing falsely is especially connected to something where someone's life or livelihood is at stake in a court case. So, here we are as, as the royal priesthood, the ambassadors of the Messiah, as the Apostle Paul puts it, into the world. We should be testifying about the Holy One, about the Mashiach, accurately, not falsely. So, like we were mentioning earlier, that this idea that the Mashiach came to end the law, is that testifying correctly or testifying falsely about the Mashiach and the one who sent the Mashiach, who sent Yeshua, who sent this image of heaven here to us. So, you know, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but when we get into Devarim or Deuteronomy, we'll see that it appears to be a an elucidation or a explanation, a unfolding of the various things that are are meant or communicated in these ten words that we have in Exodus chapter twenty, and they seem to occupy from what is we we have divided in in our copies of the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter six uh, through a portion of Deuteronomy chapter twenty six. So a big portion of Deuteronomy, of the book of Devarim, seems to be taken up with this explanation. And we'll see this further when we get there, but uh, this I'm showing you here one particular illustration of how it seems that the Ten Commandments are um, explained or expounded upon throughout the book of Devarim. Uh, and you can see that these things these commandments, these ten words, have uh, richness and a varied part of meaning because this is talking about a relationship with God and a multifaceted relationship. So, for example, uh, in chapter 6 through 11 in Deuteronomy, uh, seems to be an unfolding of the first commandment. So, you see in there about... Uh, especially where we have in chapter 6, we have the Shema, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You see that particular statement leading in chapter 6. Then the second commandment about idolatry, um, the chapter 12 of Deuteronomy. The third commandment about blasphemy uh, seems to be in uh, chapter 13 and portion of chapter 14. And very interestingly, in there, you get the clean and unclean foods in Deuteronomy chapter 14. So, a very interesting part about what those are saying about making the uh, reputation of God high or bringing it low. And that's uh, we've gotten to it in greater detail, but that's also under the hood, so to speak, of Acts chapter 10 with Peter's vision there of the sheet full of the animals. The punchline, just like with punchlines of the parables, the punchline of the vision is that the 
nations are elevated up. It's not that Israel is brought down, brought down low. It is that the nations, those people of the nations, in this case, uh, when Peter is about to meet Cornelius, he is lifted up. He is made holy. He is separated from the other, the common, the common of the Greek world and made holy. It's not that the Israel is not brought down and all distinctions between Israel and the nations are done away with. It is that the nations are lifted up when they decide to become a part of that family. What we read earlier from the Apostle Yochanan, when they decide to be adopted in as sons and daughters of God, they indeed get lifted up. They get made holy. Because just like the illustration with the tabernacle, where you come to the the doorway of the tabernacle, then through the priesthood they take your offering in, so you in your korban, which we'll get into vaikra means the thing that approaches, that you indeed will come closer to God when you come closer to the tabernacle. So that is of under the the hood, so to speak, of clean and unclean distinctions of society and the nations and Israel is to say, hey, there are things that actually lead you to closer to God, and there's the way of life that leads you away from God. And the things that are clean and unclean, the things that we eat, is a good object lesson of everyday life that there is a distinction, as it mentions in both Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, that there is a distinction between the things that are clean, the things which are fit to approach, and the things that are tame or unclean, the things that uh, block us from approaching the presence of God. And uh, in Deuteronomy uh, chapters 14, uh, the last half of 14 through the first half of chapter 16, it seems to be on talking about the Shabbat, the fourth commandment. And very interestingly, in that section, it covers tithe, the Shemitah or the sabbatical year, Pesach or Passover, Shavuot or Pentecost, and Sukkot or tabernacles. So one of those things that you see in each of those memorials is a memorial of the other, a memorial of the one who creates, the one who brings about. The tithe is a reflection of what? The one who brings things from the earth. Of the, the Shemitah also a reflection of that. The one who brings forth things for the earth. Do you trust the one who does that? The, the Shemitah with its <laughs> having to trust about the, uh, that the crop that you have in the sixth year will last you over into the eighth year. That is a part of trusting the one who brings forth the bread from the earth. And then also Passover and Shavuot and Sukkot are all way markers, you know, the bringing you out of bondage, bringing you into the relationship, bringing you then into the kingdom, Sukkot, bringing you into the common dwelling with God. So all of that and kind of encapsulated with um, the celebration each Shabbat is uh, remembering who gives us the sustenance, the creator of heaven and earth, and who is the one who redeems us, who sets us apart, makes us holy. We'll read about that when we get on further on in the book of uh, Shemot or Exodus. Uh, the fifth commandment covers chapter 16, 
through 18 portions of those in Deuteronomy. And you'll see in there talking about the judges, the courts of the law, the king, the priests, true and false prophets. So the fifth commandment, again, about your father and mother, where you come from, uh, your, your source of life. And thus, you can start seeing the proper place that the judges, the courts of law, the king, the priests and the Levites, the true and the false prophets, what role they come into, what role they have in our society. So it also gives a hint that just like with fathers and mothers who start to, um, you could say, to overstep their given role, their given authority, that that can create a problem. Thus, when you have these various levels of judges, courts, uh, the king, the priests, the prophets, when they overstep their authority and go in a different direction from the one who commissioned them, that they can be a problem too. Uh, it's a good little parallel to see how these things fit together in everyday life. And then into the Sixth Commandment, which uh, covers Deuteronomy chapters 19 through a good chunk, uh, now basically the chapter 21, where you're talking about do not murder, uh, do not um, to murder, to destroy. And as we talked about, this being a connection here that you see various protections for uh, the cities of refuge are discussed in their rules for war, unsolved murders, the, the firstborn and rebellious sons, burial of the executed, all of those things reflected in there as to how are you respecting the image of God, the image of God on the earth. Seventh commandment on adultery. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 through 23, good portion of chapter 23, uh, talking about adultery again, your uh, connections, your most important relationships both in heaven and on earth. So thus, you see in there that um, seemingly strange instructions about the things that belong together, you have to, you know, the um, unequally yoked, you see... in about the wool and the linen together, these things that belong together and those things that are not. You also see in there talk about uh, marriage violations and talk about purity in the assembly and in the camp so that you are not having a corrupting influence inside of the community of God. That all being explanations of the things that can corrupt the very important connections of um, both heaven and earth. So, uh, the Lord being faithful is not going to corrupt the relationship on his end, but we can see how the things in our own lives can start corrupting that relationship back with heaven and corrupt the relationship that we have between other people on earth. So, uh, we see also some explanations in the Eighth Commandment of stealing and Deuteronomy 23 and part of 24 about uh, the Ninth Commandment about honesty and trust in chapter 24 of Deuteronomy. And lastly, with the Tenth Commandment about coveting in uh, Deuteronomy 24 going through 26 verse 15 basically the first half of chapter 26. But interestingly enough, uh, you see that thing about coveting, 
the, the topics of conversation in that passage are talking about treating others with fairness, so not coveting, the, uh, coveting other people's things, uh, not desiring to seize to take, also applies to the offerings of the first fruits of the Lord. So you're not coveting the things that belong to the Lord. You're not desiring to take for yourself the things that uh, belong to the Lord. So that being an overview of saying that, well, how does all of the things related to the Ten Commandments, to the various instructions of God, how do they uh, both work together and also apply to life? These are some great illustrations uh, under the hood, so to speak. We'll get into these in much more detail when we move on to Devarim. And as we move on through Vayikra, Leviticus, we'll start seeing how these things apply to life. But to give you a preview that why the Ten Commandments are so pivotal and why it is that you have the Mashiach explain that the key elements throughout all of the instructions of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your desires, with all your soul, with your life, and with your strength, your resources, the, the, the might that you have to make sure all of those things are pointed toward heaven and that there is no, no shame, no, no darkness in any of those relationships. So, on to the heart of the matter, so to speak, or the spirit of the law. It was something we got to earlier with the equation that we talked about in the beginning. The new life equals Sinai plus the spirit equals the new covenant. So, one of the things we talked a little bit previously about the Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, goes really goes through uh, verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We talked about the second greatest commandment in Leviticus 19.18, and uh, some good things to remember that, that the Yeshua told us and uh, recorded in Matthew 7, verse 16, that you will know them by their fruits. So, the things that we do reflects who we are. And we, we mentioned this in previous times that uh, we, when we are stressed, when we are put to the test, we'll start revealing what our true character is. Character being the innermost parts of you are once the, the facade, once the act gets dropped because of stress, hardship, um, and with the, the parable of the sower that Yeshua told, those are some illustrations of how our facade gets dropped. And so our true character, what the, uh, in that illustration of the parable, what the character of our soil is really like. It is like God is taking a, a test of the soil to see what is its true nutrients. Is it dead? Or is it a source of life? Has it been properly, quote, fertilized to keep pounding this metaphor to death? So, some other things to take a look at uh, is the, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit, reflected in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. We'll be getting to this to hopefully see and hopefully help you start to see the context of what Paul is talking in and how we should approach these words of Paul and some of what has been taken from Yeshua's words to mean Various things such as 
what we just mentioned uh, from the you have heard it said but i tell you which is uh, called in theology the the six antitheses the six uh, opposing statements that you'll find in uh the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And uh, some of also the key aspect of our mission in life, our purpose, found in what's the new covenant. The new covenant, uh, not something that just shows up in the Gospels and the New Testament, but something that was foretold by the prophets, by the prophet uh, Yermiyahu in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and and Yitzkel in Ezekiel uh, 36, verses 25 and 26. And you also see a statement like this in, uh, from the Gospel of John, that this is eternal life that they may know you from uh, John chapter 17, verse 3. This is something that we've talked about in the context of the new covenant. So, let's get to the new covenant. This is where you have the prophets. Yermiyahu brings this up in the context of where this rebirth, this rebirth of Israel comes from. So, a part of the rebirth of the nation is a, you could say, like with your computer or your phone or something like that, you know, today it's like, since it's so much software based, it's like, well, if you have a problem, just uh, turn it off for, for your phone, that is. Just turn it off and turn it back on again. If it's your computer, um, put it into its reboot cycle to have it go back at the original instructions and start back over to refresh it for something in the original instructions that were corrupted along the way. Very interesting illustration of uh, how our spiritual life should be. Uh, like with a computer, sometimes we need to get rebooted to go back to what the original instructions were to load that back up again and then say, all right, we'll start fresh and move forward. Thus, you can start to see something that uh, commonly gets misinterpreted when Paul talks about that the Torah is a tutor that leads us to Messiah. So, if you think of the Torah as like your computer operating system, kind of like the Torah being a tutor, well, uh, what computer, when you load the operating system, you just delete it and then move on? No, it doesn't work that way. People are not, are not like that. We work with our original operating instructions and then build on them, take them further. You take your original things that you have been instructed on, then you move those further. You start applying them to life. You, you start finding how to take the, the original lessons and to make them work to gain not only wisdom, but also understanding the why behind the lessons. So, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Yehuda, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Mitzrayim, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will say, uh, their sin I will remember no more. So, very interesting that we see here at the beginning of this passage, and it talks about, Not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand, to lead them out of the land of Mitzrayim, my covenant, which they broke. Now, we've read so far in Shemot the elements of this covenant. We saw the, the earlier parts of that in the, the first uh, chapters of Exodus, where it's talking about that this, this plan that uh, I'm, you know, you are my son, my firstborn son, I'm going to call you out, I'm going to bring you to the mountain. I'm going to bring you to the mountain, then. You know, take you back to the land, the land which the the Avraham started from. That is going to be your inheritance. And then, more specifically, we just in the passage that we read today, the Parashat Yitro, we see in that particular passage where you end up having this covenant, uh, commonly called the Sinaic Covenant, the Covenant of Sinai, the the contract between Israel and the Lord at Sinai. And we read here where the people were saying everything that you have said, we will do. And then you had the, the further elucidation of that with the, the ten statements, the ten words, the ten commandments. So, this covenant, which they broke. Okay, so the fault was with whom? Was it with the Lord? Was it with the Lord's instructions, the Torah? Or was it with the people? Is with the people. And that's something that Paul gets at in a very, very kind of heart wrenching uh, illustration he does in Romans chapter 7. When he finally gets down to the conclusion of it, says, Well, who can save me from this body of death? Because that covenant, when you're faced up to, hey, this is the right way to go, these, the Ten Commandments, the, the instructions of God is the right way to go. But I want to do that. But I keep veering off into the way that I don't want to go. I keep veering off into that. Well, who can save me from this? And then you get into the end of chapter 7 where it says, Well, praise be to God. And then goes into chapter 8. And chapter 8 is key to what we're seeing here with the new covenant and how this works. So thus, the Jeremiah 31 continues on that I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. Their desires, the desires of the people, will uh, have this now on them. And one of the things we've talked about is, does the Lord treat us like robots? Where we just kind of kind of go up like a jukebox in one sense, just slap it a few times until it starts playing the thing correctly. Or do you just like um, just change its operating system so then it just starts doing the separate thing? Well, we have to want to go this direction. Like what uh, the Apostle Paul gets at, you know the right way, you realize the right way, you know, you hear the calling of heaven to go the right way, but how do you go the right way? Thus comes with that change of heart, which we'll be getting to further here. 
I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That adoption that we talked about, we saw in Exodus chapter 19. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. So, that key part there is, they will all know me. So, that is both the now and a not yet statement. Because the not yet part of it is, um, and something that we, we see hints of here in the Torah, and we see especially reflected on through the prophets with the pictures of the day of the Lord, and then we see uh, with the coming of the Mashiach, and then this pining for the return of the Mashiach there in the apostolic writings, that this know the Lord face to face is only something that will, will, will come when the dwelling place of God is with mankind. What we see foretold in the prophets and also in the book of Revelation in chapters 21 and 22, where we see that true fulfillment come. And one of the key things that it mentions here is that uh, for they will, they will know me, they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So that explains one aspect of truly knowing who the Lord is, is that the Lord forgives iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. We saw an illustration of that in the passage we, we just read here in Yitro today about key part of what the Lord does is to forgive iniquities to forgive and again remember in the spectrum sin being a uh, missing the mark uh, a neglectful sort of uh, aspect to the god's instructions to transgressions more willful disobedience uh, going away from the lord's instructions to iniquity being outright rebellion to perhaps even fighting against the lord that is uh, where you get the more egregious term of it, we would call that. Uh, in, if you were talking about a relationship between a citizen and and his uh, nation, that would be called treason. So iniquity, a bit like treason in that regard. Now the parallel passage for this uh, new covenant found in Ezekiel twenty six uh, verses twenty four through twenty seven. Again, talking about the reboot of Israel, uh, the reboot from the exiles. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So this is reform, transformation that's starting from the inside out. This is, you know, you've, you've fallen down. The, in this case, Israel has fallen down to its lowest point where it is now in the correction phase in exile, the Lord is going to bring people back, but 
there needs to be a transformation process that happens. Because like with the parable that we mentioned earlier from Yeshua, if you just sweep the house clean after you get rid of the the, the filth, but you don't actively <laughs> uh, have a program, you don't actively have uh, something inside you that works to keep the filth from returning, to fill it with something good, then the active filth, the... Uh, the evil spirits then will gang up to come in and make the situation worse than you started. Which then comes to the question we mentioned a little bit earlier. Well, didn't Yeshua come to abolish the law? And this passage here in Galatians 3.10, something that uh, someone brought up this week because uh, he was been, he was having... Uh, conversations with the brothers and sisters in the body of Mashiach and also from members of his family who were questioning his walk uh, toward the ways of Torah, back to the ways of Torah, back and getting the returning to the tutor to make sure that the lessons learned from the tutor uh, for Israel, for the body of Messiah, you know, is, had, those lessons actually have been learned. This being a passage that was brought up and Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, that part there, cursed is everyone who does not abide, that's a quotation from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. So, a common statement taken from that is that uh, as for as many as are of the works of the law are under curse. So thus, if you follow the things of the law, you are under a curse. So thus, wouldn't it be better to not be under the curse? So thus, don't do any works of, of the law. So thus, uh, you would not be under the curse. Well, that seems self-explanatory, doesn't it? Um, except that one of the things that you see in the context for Paul's writings and for Yeshua's comments is something that Yeshua himself said at the beginning part of the Sermon on the Mount. You could say the, the preamble or the setup, just after what's commonly called the Beatitudes, the um, you know, blessed are you, uh, happy are you, really it should be in the, in the Beatitudes, happy are you if you do this, happy are the peacemakers, etc., and after that, then there's like this little bridge comment in there from uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, that is a setup for how to understand all that then follows. And it is really, and because we get a second witness in one of the other Gospels of a very similar thing that Mashiach is saying, thus you have a second witness that in, truly this is indeed how the body of Messiah should be interpreting these things related to the teachings of the law, the teachings of these, the, the teachings of the tutors, so to speak. So, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 says, 
Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, shall be he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You'd be like those uh, that uh, did not enter the land because of their unbelief. Uh, that entering the kingdom of heaven, entering the, the land of promise, entering the kingdom of God. The second witness to the statement that we find in the Sermon on the Mount is found in Luke chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. So, we get a second witness to it that, that even small aspects of the Lord's instructions are not something that are going to fall down. As we see uh, in another encounter at the beginning of Yeshua's ministry, when right after he has the, the mikvah for the uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins from Yochanan there at the river Yarden, he goes out, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness, and he's there for 30 days, and at the end of the 30 days, he encounters the adversary, and one of the responses that he gives to the tests of the adversary is that he says, when the adversary says, Are you, well, if you're the Son of God, then turn these stones into, into bread. And, you know, he's saying that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And that was, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is in the context of a retelling of the whole Exodus and um, wilderness experience in saying that this whole endurance through the wilderness was to and with the manna the the daily bread that came down was to teach people to depend on the lord and not on the the ways of the flesh the things that they can accomplish because that whole experience from the exodus to the land and into the land and then the conquering of the land the settling of the land that was all a a uh, work of heaven, heaven-aided, heaven-powered experience. So thus, each one of us, when we are taken out of our own house of bondage and encounter God, and then we go up to the land, we enter his rest, we enter the kingdom of heaven, and thus we find our rest there throughout this entire journey from the moment of release that moment of liberty, to reaching into the land, to reaching the rest, to finding that place of rest with God, that the whole experience, which will take us our entire lives, 
that that whole experience is a part of trusting the Lord to depending upon his daily bread. That's more important than whether we're chomping on something or living or breathing. Because for any one of us, we don't know how many days that we have, whether they be long or whether they be short. But in the, in the context of what we read with the first commandment here, we know that we are connected to the creator of heaven and earth, the one who freed us out of that. So thus, we know where we are going. We are not like those who have no hope when life ends. We know that the giver of life, the creator of life, will be the recreator of life, and he has promised to do so. So thus we can see that these statements here from Yeshua in Luke chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 5 are foundational, not only for understanding the words of Yeshua, but also for his uh, servants, the, his apostles, the ones he sent, his uh, shalachim, the, his sent ones out, that they also would be directed in that case. And as we get into Deuteronomy, we'll also see that these are instructions that we will know who are the true Mashiach and the true followers of God, the true sent ones of God, is that they will also be teaching and following and instructing people in following these foundational tutor words of God, that they aren't going to be directing people in some other direction, or in a worst case saying that uh, uh, not to follow those ways anymore. And we'll see those particular warnings in Deuteronomy chapter 6, but also specifically in chapters 13 and 18, where they warn against uh, any prophet or any teacher coming along to teach you to go after a different God, uh, teaching you not to follow in the ways of God, that, hey, uh, don't number one, don't follow them, but number two, that is someone who is uh, uh, needs to be taken out. So, we expound unto this further in halal.info slash p45, where if you go there, you can see a longer explanation of this in particular. Well, one of the things to uh, think about in this passage we saw in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, is that Galatians, um, you, you read the introductions uh, that various, uh, if you have an introduction to your Bible or a study Bible, you'll see that Galatians is thought to be a very early letter, and early thought to be before the events that are recorded in Acts chapter 15, that Jerusalem council there where they were deciding there, well, uh, must you be circumcised according to the custom of Moshe to be saved? And then goes on the conversation saying, uh, no, you know, the nations are saved just the way that the natural born of Israel are saved. And that is by the trust in the, <laughs> in the one who is sent, not by, uh, following the instructions of of the Torah. Now, one of the things that is seen in this, in more particular, is that the uh, the uh, matter that's brought up in Galatians three ten that we saw earlier, and uh, just to uh, refresh your memory on that 
for as many as are of the works of the law are under curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. So, one of the things that we see is that since Galatians is an earlier work, Romans is a much later work of Paul, and especially in a uh, f- bringing the concepts together into a full a full argument to for a full discussion from beginning to end. So that's that's why we always say that parachuting into Romans is uh, a treacherous endeavor because you're getting in the midst of a long argument that builds upon itself from beginning to end. So in particular, uh, the passage in Romans chapter 2 verses 17 through 29 says, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? Do you... Uh, you who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed... Circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who... Uh, Though having the letter of the law and the circumcision are a transgressor of the law, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. And thus you see the context of what Galatians is getting at, is the, you could say, the 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 heavenly pole vault uh, that was expressed in Acts chapter 15 and mentioned in Galatians is, is there a pole that the believers from the nations have to vault over to get into the kingdom of God? And uh, Galatians, a large, um, is focused on that pole being circumcision. And from what you see in first century writings, that uh, initial pole to get over for the nations was circumcision. So, thus you can see that is the context to understand well, where Paul is getting at. As the, as the Messiah brought out in Ash, um, Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 16, that his mission was not to abolish not even the smallest stroke of the pen from the law. Thus, the one who was called by the Messiah there on the, the uh, road um, to Damascus, Paul, he then would not be doing that either. So, thus, as it's expressed here, what the issue is, is 
depending upon observance of the law as a crutch over relationship with God. Now, those are not mutually exclusive, but as we saw them there, the new life equals Sinai plus the spirit. That spirit part is relationship with God, that knowing God, that knowing God as a part of having the iniquities not be remembered anymore, that God will no longer remember those iniquities. Similar thing to what Yeshua told that uh, woman who was caught in adultery, recorded there in John chapter 8, is that, you know, go and sin no more. Is that, okay, you, heaven does not remember this, so we ourselves should not be venturing back toward that. Now, we, this side of having the dwelling place of God with mankind, you know, we are fallible. But the direction of our lives is not headed right back to our old way of life. You know, we're not, we're not um, you know, just becoming a frequent visitors to Mitzrayim anymore, the house of bondage on a regular basis. Once we leave the house of bondage, once uh, the Lord gives us freedom from the house of bondage, we don't go back. We don't keep you know, having trips back over and over again. Now, uh, the Lord in the process will be cleansing us from, the, as he mentions, rolling back the reproach of Mitzrayim, that rolling back the, the stain the guilt of Mitzrayim. But in the process, we will be moving forward to the kingdom of God, toward God's presence. So, thus you can see in this particular passage in Romans that this, especially in that last verse in Romans 2.29, is expanded on in chapter 8, that the Spirit of God is necessary for really understanding and fully bringing the, the law of God out through us. So, uh, actually, our, our brother, <laughs> Brother Larry, has, uh, went through a few years ago, he went through a dis- discussion, uh, a condensation of uh, Tim Hegg's teaching on this. And uh, if you go to the Halal website, halal.info, just search for the, the study called Why Do We Keep Torah? And covering Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, which is another passage that someone may have brought up to you on occasions. But one of the, the key things to, to leave with here is that the law and the spirit are not in opposition they are essential units working together. So, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, work together, not against each other. So, that's where we'll close things out here today. Any last thoughts before we wrap things up? I like that pole vaulting um, image you <laughs> gave. Can we, can we make a cartoon out of that? Would that yes. be appropriate? That's right. Pole vaulting into the kingdom. All was, right. Yeah, it's very. It was very good. I'll remember that illustration forever. Yeah, the holy high jump. Yes. What? Uh, what is iniquity? Iniquity. Well, yeah. iniquity is living alone. Well, that's uh, kind of a good play on words. That's 
the Hebrew word is awon, and that means you know, you could be basically apart from apart from the ways of God. You know, you're you're um, headed into a different direction from where God was. That's why we're going to talk about sins, transgressions, and iniquities being a spectrum. Sins being, you know, the absent-minded forgetting, neglects, um, then transgressions being, ah, I don't want to do it, and iniquity like, I will not do it. And even iniquity going further to say, not will I not do it, I may cause other people not to do it and i may fight against heaven or against people who who um want to do it that you could think of it somewhat similar to what uh the apostle paul gets at in romans chapter one when he's talking about you know that those people who want to uh suppress the word of god or suppress the truth in in unrighteousness so unrighteousness or as it's translated in english there in romans chapter one and iniquity can be thought of as um, very similar. Daniel, did, did you have yeah, your comment? Your comment you had made earlier, which was uh, very well put, um, in that uh, Matthew five and Luke sixteen, if you're using those as a um, as a perspective, a viewpoint, they stand on those as a viewpoint. When you read the rest of the apostolic scripture, that other, other writings, which can get very confusing if you look at them on their own uh, is a very useful stand to hold on to because I, I, I admit uh, I just my personal way of life and how I view things most things in my life when I'm not sure what they mean I default to Deuteronomy just go right back to, okay here's my glasses my Deuteronomy glasses on now I'll read through this and my, I immediately filter out all the various paraphernalia and strange ideas that come from the English text that you read, because there are some really strange ideas. I mean, honestly, some yes. oddballs. <laughs> um, and even if you try to go through Greek variations or different, it doesn't make much difference. They're still kind of weird ideas. But use I've always used Deuteronomy as okay. Put the glasses on. Here, my here here is my my filters. They filter everything else I read or see or hear or do. If it doesn't match these, I know it's a bunch of garbage. Now, not that the words are garbage, but the understanding. Is could be garbage, um, and so it's it's helpful to to but but unfortunately for the the way which I live in my life, uh, few Christians that I have ever run across will respect Deuteronomy's viewpoint. Um, and they will respect something the Messiah said or or or, or the apostles say, but when I bring up well, Deuteronomy said this or Moses said that, it's a gloss come over, eyes glazed, they're done. You. Blah 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 wah 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 wah. It's just an empty emptiness, right? And so it's helpful to because in their context, they view world from a the back of the book onward, <laughs> as opposed to the front of the book. Um, it's helpful to have. Okay, wait. Messiah was very explicit. Here, here's examples that you, they could also support the same thing. Hey guys, if it doesn't match these filters, then you're under not the words are wrong, but your understanding of the words mean would be wrong um it's a very useful tool to have and to not let go because i mean i'll be like i said before i've always been honest i i jumped to deuteronomy first that's my first stance i stand the torah instead of moses words because that's how god spoke to, to everybody first and it's very very good helpful place for me to stand on 
But as a result, I don't get into conversations with Christians, meaning yeah. meaning Christians who are who, who are not Torah observant Christians. I, I, the, the rest of the world, <laughs> the Christian Christianity world, I avoid those conversations. Not that I personally avoid them per se, but they, I just never come up because I jump. Well, did already Moses said X Y Z, and shh, the, the 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 blanket goes over and. They go off on some comment in Colossians or Galatians or whatever, and it's like, okay, that's we're no longer talking the same language anymore. Um, and so it's it's helpful to have, which I don't usually go to the Gospels as a default place uh, to explain Torah observance or instructions thereof, but uh, it's able to have those scriptures too. I don't usually think about them, but so thank you. I appreciate bringing them up. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, it's uh, kind of kind of similar. Um, yeah. It, no, this this is uh, probably a um, a lurching right uh, right hook into geekdom, but um, I have our our Wi-Fi router has a initial initialization command that basically just says when you start up, load this, and every every, every time that I I have this uh, thing in there that I need to set to do things and it fails, I just run that command. And it fixes it because it reloads the things that it needs to. So it's a great in a, analogy. <laughs> in, in, a, in a sense, these two comments from Matthew five and Luke sixteen are a uh, the Messiah is telling us if you have any questions, load Deuteronomy. Right. Exactly. Load Deuteronomy. Yeah. Now we'll see yeah, lo- load especially and uh, a third witness can be what we just talked about in passing from the the temptations of the Mashiach. You know, mm-hmm. where did he go? He went right. to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Exactly. So his his foundation. Yeah. And especially when what he quoted from Deuteronomy, that man right. doesn't live by word by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm. So thus, if he was using that as a retort, uh, that is something that we should use as a, a yep. as a retort or as a corrective, as a glasses to, right. to see the gospels and the epistles through mm-hmm. Shay, did you have a comment or a question yeah um in in matthew 5 he says um do not think i came to destroy the torah or the prophets i did not come to destroy but to fulfill and then later he says um right afterwards for truly i say to you till the heaven and earth pass away not one yod or tittle shall by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled so the question is did he fulfill them and when will he fulfill them? Because if they're not going to pass till they're fulfilled, and then he says, I fulfilled them, then I think that's why people think that um, they've passed, because he says that he fulfilled them. That's well, that, that, it's a um, longer conversation, but the, the simpler part is uh, that you can point people toward is that the Greek word under the word fulfill is uh Pleru, the Greek uh, verb pleru, which means to fill up. And in another passage, it's used to talk about uh, that the, one of the reasons for the mikvah, one of the reasons for baptism is to pleru all righteousness. So thus, uh, you can read that back in and say, which way should we understand pleru to bring it to completion, to bring it to an end? Should we understand baptism then is to end all righteousness? I don't think that's a, a proper understanding of pleru. 
Right. So given the way that Pleru is used throughout the Apostolic writings, we should read it back in with the various contexts in which it's used. And the context in which it's used is to bring to its fullness, not bring mm-hmm. to an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why does it say, why does it reference to heaven and earth passing away then? Because we're, if Jesus is the only one that fulfills all righteousness, and then we establish righteousness, we can't fulfill it like he did, but we can establish it. Then bring, us, bring it to its fullness. Bring, we, we, we join him in bringing it to its fullness. That's right. But only through his spirit. But why is there a reference to heaven and earth passing away? Well, and then, one of the, and then it being established. Yeah. Well, one of one of the things that, that you're saying is that there is not going to be an end to it, you know, at least as far as that goes. You know, um, it's something that you see in uh, Isaiah chapter 66, where you see that you see a new heavens and a new earth. Mm-hmm. Well, you, it, the old earth has passed away, and you see that uh, also in in uh, revelation 21 and 22 where you see that the dwelling place of god is with mankind and then in zechariah 14 you see uh the uh, the coming up in the day of the lord to to the dwelling place of god so you see in the context especially zechariah 14 and isaiah 66 is that the the sabbath and the, the Shabbat and the new moon are going to be there. You see Zechariah 14, that uh, Sukkot or Tabernacles is going to be there. Mm-hmm. So these things are going to continue on because why? They are memorials. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. memorials don't go away. Mm-hmm. The instructions of God won't go away. Now, you know, some... Uh-huh. Your comment on the other hand, though, is because it, it says not yet, not one yet or tittle. So as long as earth, earth and heaven currently exist, the fashion exists. Therefore, these laws stand until they no longer exist. Then for the laws can be modified. It says not yet one, not one yet, not one mark, one, one stroke. Well, for example, there are many laws as that have nothing to do with the holiday cycle, but has to do with, for example, flesh and blood. Well, yes. when there's no flesh and blood anymore. Do you need laws regarding menstruation cycles? Yeah. No. And, <laughs> you know, you, you, you do bring up a very interesting point because um, like we were just talking about with, with marriage and that's something that uh, Yeshua clarified. It's like, yeah, you're not going to have that, that same sort of relationship in the world to come. Right. You know, do, do we need the one about murder anymore? Uh, dark <laughs> coveting? Uh, right. do, we, do we need those? Any bearing false witness? Right. No, no. <laughs> yeah, try to lie to God. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, you you see that you uh, a number of these things are um, not because they're obsolete. Well, you could say they're maybe anachronisms more than being obsolete. Mm-hmm. They're they are remnants of the old world, not the new world. Like a, his, a history book kind of thing. It ones being a history book. Just clarifying, because I'm still trying to sort out which ones we're supposed to be following and which ones are no longer for today. So you just mentioned the menstruation one. Mm-hmm. So that that had to do with coming to the temple clean or unclean. And and, and there was no other reason for that? Uh, let's see. I couldn't say there's no other reason for it. We still obey that one today. Uh-huh. We call them showers. 
right? <laughs> yeah. do, do you or do you not take a shower, right? Or do, I, I, I'm not that. Not I, don't don't answer the question. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the point is that it's a good still, thing we're having a Zoom right, meeting because right, no, right. I don't. <laughs> no, the point is that we, that, that those, those those processes are still done. Mind right. you, you're presenting a, a, a culture which bathing was not commonly done all the time. Right. And so they say, oh, for example, even in U.S. culture, 100 oh. years ago, the bathing was only done once or twice a year. That's correct. That's per year. So mm-hmm. how often did you go through a particular cycle or a male get involved in some mess okay. and muck? It wasn't all the time, right? Well, so it, 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 it's, it's even in modern day, it's relative reason. There's some parts of the world still today, bathing's not done that frequently. I have a lot of mm-hmm. diseases. So we still do them. The flesh and blood still does it. We may not call it the same same thing or claim to do it for the same reason, but we still do it and we still have the same effect. So nothing of this has changed. You know what's so funny is because they use that whole and and I'm guilty, I was there at some point, but you know, the whole thing about oh the letter kills and the spirit gives life, therefore, you know, we, we we're not under the law anymore because it's the letter. But when you read the 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 Torah without the spirit, you do get into the letter in the sense of going, oh, okay, so that means I like you're under what you just said about showering and how that's just the modern day, quick, easy. The Torah is not far away. It's not off in heaven where you you know you have to ascend to go grab it or cross the sea. It's easy. Just take a shower. Right. So you're feeling so it's written on your heart. It's it's something that's sensible it makes sense it's easy mm-hmm. and it's it's good for us and so the spirit tells us those things i mean it's right. so funny because you can kind of look at a christian and say you're keeping the torah you just most do they most of them keep the torah they just yeah. don't want to call it that right and there's you know? a gentleman i had in a discussion with about four or five years ago he was having this not 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 this topic per se but similar until he said well but christians try to keep the torah but or the law but but I understand, but most of them still are good people. And I point out to wait a minute, read the book of Deuteronomy. There, virtually every Christian there is, there are some exceptions, obviously, keeps the vast majority of those instructions. Right. There, there, are, there are some details that don't keep here and there, but the vast majority of them are thoroughly kept. They right. may not call them that. It doesn't matter whether the Christian is Catholic or, 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 or Baptist or the vast majority they all keep, and we all keep them because our own laws, our nation, are met, mimicked after the vast majority of them. A lot mm-hmm. of things haven't changed. So, though we claim that we're free from the law, that's garbage. Yeah. Because if you are free from the law and the instructions the Apostle Paul gave, which I mentioned before, that you get some crazy ideas reading things in English only. That yeah, as Jeff pointed out, the whole yeah, yeah, yeah it, 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 if you if you obey any part of the law, you're under the whole law. Well, yeah, that means if I don't murder someone, therefore. I'm under the entire law, right? <laughs> so, and so I should therefore if I want to be not under the law. I should there go out and go murder someone. Therefore, I'm no longer under the law because it, it, it's an illogical statement. So as long as you keep any part of it, you're under all of it, according to Paul's instructions. Well, of course, I keep lots of it. It's my own instinct not to murder people. I just don't right. do that. And right. so therefore, I'm keeping that one. Well, guess what? As a result, I'm under all of it because I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. As long as flesh and blood exists, that law exists. There's a and lot that, of talk about the Noahide laws, and I, apparently there's like oh, right. two versions of the Noahide laws, the ones that were actually given to Noah, 
that were kind of a general it's a variation general general law that he gave to all mankind okay mm-hmm. not you know, and 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 then then apparently there's like a new modern more like terroristic kind of view of so how does that play into the torah how does that play into the commands of jesus where do the noahide laws fit in acts chapter 15 Yep. Acts chapter 15 is is like a um, Cliff Notes version to what is commonly called the Noahide Laws. Um, okay. they, the basically the starting the starting point for people who are coming into the uh, Commonwealth of Israel. You start right. here. And because it's mentioned in verse 21 of Acts chapter 15, it says, you know, because Moshe is preached every Shabbat in every synagogue. That's that's the reason you start with this, and then you go on, and then you are faced with um, you start moving from unintentional sins to intentional sins as you start to um, be as the spirit of God starts to bring these things to light within you. You know they start bringing these things to light. So then you start moving down that spectrum we were talking about earlier between sins, transgressions, and iniquities. You know the okay. sins. You know oversight. I forgot about it. Didn't know it. And maybe didn't, wasn't properly instructed. To transgressions. Okay, now I know about it. What am I going to do about it? To iniquities is like I know about it and I'm not going to do it. I I don't care. I don't want to do it. So we we all in the in the in the body of Messiah have to look at this and say, what is our attitude to this? What is our attitude toward the instructions of God? Uh, do right. we, do we want to know, do we want to know God through, through them? Do we want uh-huh. to know God uh, through his instructions, through his anointed one, through his sent ones, his apostles, through his prophets? Mm-hmm. Or do we want to not know? Do we want to purposely suppress it? Thank you. So, you know, and again, uh, thankfully, God is the judge. But um, what <laughs> what uh, people's opposition in the in the the whole family of God to the words of God? Um, we just uh, just. Be, are thankful that God is the judge and we aren't because we can look on the outside and say, wow, this person is opposing God, but we really don't know. So mm-hmm. we just basically say the things that are there and say, okay, well, you know, this may be uh, misunderstood, misinterpreted here. This is what Messiah told us to have the perspective on this on. So uh, this may be a, a fresh way to look at it and just let let that go you never know when it may take root i know that uh that uh brother and i had a conversation with a local pastor here and it took several years before that took root because one of the last conversations we had with the pastor is is like well i see what you're saying here because we were talking about this perspective of how to see the words of mashiach and the words of paul as mm-hmm. he said i see what you're seeing here but my mind takes me over here that basically mm-hmm. is everything in his tradition everything he was taught in seminary is taking mm-hmm. him back over there to see that the sinai and the spirit are in opposition mm-hmm. and it, it took several years to then say no they're not in opposition that 
actually they work together as a part of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. But you never know the timing. Mm-hmm. So, Larry, uh, I think I see your hand up as well. Yeah, I um, I was uh, I was looking at uh, at Luke uh, sixteen. And that would be good to have a longer discussion on because it has one of these, it's one of these places where people think that the law has been has been put away, where it says the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom has is preached, and everyone yeah, forces the, his way into it. Yeah the 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 preposition <laughs> the preposition there of until can also mean as far as or up to or pointing toward. So you you look in lexicons and you'll see that the, those are options. So that was the uh, decision of the translators to point it toward a, a certain direction. So again, um, if if you're saying um, if you're saying that it was only up to John and then John took in a different direction, that makes the the statement in verse seventeen seem totally contradictory. Yeah, so that's for sure. That, that was the decision of the translator to point it in one direction, even though the, the whole context points it in another direction. And, and there's another one in, in uh, that Paul spoke uh, or recorded in one of Paul's letters that says that Christ is the end of the law. Yes, the telos. And, and yeah, the, and, and we should say that it's the aim of the law. Yeah, because telos is… It, like, oh, that's right. We say that. The, what's, the, what's the purpose the of this? The end. Yeah, yeah the goal. So, yeah, a good, 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 good illustration of that is uh, since the the Greek verb of telos, a, the that um, that Messiah is the telos of the law. Telos is where we get uh, the the form that we use for telescope, telephone. It means what to to cross a distance. So, thus, you could say the Messiah is the way to cross the distance to to the law. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or I yeah, it could be the the round trip route of that. Yes, Shay, you have a comment <laughs> or a question? Yeah, um so in Revelations in in the Church of Laodicea, you've got the warning about not being lukewarm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as somebody coming out of a, a a very legalistic mindset and trying to really embrace the more I think gentle and kind nature of God as, as expressed through the more Hebraic kind of understanding and culture, more, um, more compassionate, more patient, gracious as you're struggling through to figure out what this all means. How, how do we see that scripture in light of, of God's more, um, he's not tolerant of sin, but he's understanding that we're all wrestling with this. We're all trying to, figure this out as we go along and we're all at different stages and there's been a lot of deception and a lot of traditions and a lot of vain um, doctrines of men passed down and we're trying to get unentangled from them. So how do you think he views what, what is lukewarm? Because I can get really um, caught up in and tight with myself about, Oh my gosh, I'm being lukewarm. He's going to spit me out, you know? Yeah. So you just look that up and, in particular, there seems is Philadelphia. Because there's still stuff I just don't know about. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing <laughs> to obey. I don't want to disobey. I don't want to. I don't want to be 
transgressing or sinning, but I just don't know. Well, and, and one of it, it, yeah, one of what what you see here in uh, Revelation three fifteen, where it talks about, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. One of the the things that's helpful with these uh, in Revelation chapters two and three is just like what we were reading in Matthew chapter five. 17 through 20 and luke chapter 16 16 and 17 that the introductory statements to each of these messages to the assemblies the seven assemblies helps put and frame what this response is and what the corrections are to each of these assemblies so it's talking about to, um, to the angel or to the messenger of the assembly of laodicea right the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of god says this so thus you're getting the starting point of this is this is the the amen the let it be so the faithful and true witness so this is you know the the the, the getter done the 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 true message coming from heaven here the beginning of the creation of god says this so you're saying okay this is the the getting it done part so then it goes into uh, you're lukewarm and then it continues on. This is the punchline, verse 17. Because you say, I'm rich and become wealthy and have no need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich in white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches or to the assemblies, the ecclesia. So thus you see from the beginning starting point of this that the amen, the getter done, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of all the creation of God, then you see Laodicea, what is their problem? Their problem is I need nothing. I have no source. I've I've got it all. I don't need it. Mm -hmm. So they're apathetic in their nakedness. They don't realize, Mm -hmm. oh no, I'm naked. I have nothing. I am lacking all the things that I need, but I think I don't need anything. So it's mm-hmm. like, I wish you were, you know, cold, were stiff arm God and say, I don't need you or hot say, I need you. Mm-hmm. But because you're kind of stuck in between, um, that's like, wow, that's, that's a terrible situation because what does a lukewarm person who needs to be a hot person do? You know, you know, kind of the, the, the simple lesson from thermodynamics, what happens uh, with heat, it goes from where? From hot to cold. cold. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what is the lukewarm going to do to the hot people around? Make, Make them, them go cold. cold. Suck out mm-hmm. the heat. So all mm-hmm. those people that go, I need God, where they're around these people, I don't, uh, what, what are you getting so excited about? You know, just get on with life, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, me and God, we have an understanding. He's over there and I'm over here, you know, mm-hmm. that, da, 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 da. So mm-hmm. that person in your congregation is going to do what? 
suck all of the life and all of the the need and the desire out of the congregation mm. so that's just like man i land to spit you out because if you're cold the people who are hot to go i don't have nothing to do with you folk mm -hmm. but because they're they're kind of in kind of out oh. and you're like that eh, you know you don't really know that you need god mm. so that's, that's but why those, like you're you're there you're attending you're going through all the motions it's as if you're there but you're really not there yes as opposed very, to somebody who's cold and they're not even there what what you see here with laodicea is very similar to what you see at the beginning part of isaiah isaiah chapter one the very similar attitude you're going through the motions right you're going through the motions okay. you don't know why you're there you don't know that you desperately need to be a part of what you're actually being involved with there's always the golf game you could be playing instead, which would be funner. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was nice today, but I'm stuck here. Whatever. <laughs> My wife said to go. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's that's really good, Jeff. Thank you. That uh, yeah. That so, kicked in there. Yeah. So that's that's why, um, just like what we were talking about with uh, those two statements from Yeshua, these little introductory statements from Yeshua, are uh, their introductory statements they basically help you understand uh some of what these instructions are to these assemblies that follow that kind of say that frame the problem at hand well because when you're searching when you're trying to figure out am i am i keeping torah in this area of my life um and you're and you're and you're searching the scriptures and you're praying and you're listening to some youtube videos you're coming on talking to you guys you know you're just you're doing your berean thing and you're you're searching it out you're getting a myriad of opinions and some of those opinions are coming from people who saying if you don't see it the way i see it you're lukewarm and he's going to spit you out and it's for somebody like me who's prone to go ah i don't want the, i don't want to be that then i think that i have to do it the way they're saying to do it but that's not what i'm really feeling that's not really where I'm feeling led, but that, so that is a real um, manipulative kind of tool that can be used over people who are genuinely wanting to, to obey Torah, but they just don't have a clear, you know, there's just a lot that's sort of gray in, as you're learning, you know, along the way. Yeah, and and thus thus you can see one of the, the key things that's gotten at in Mark chapter 7, where you know where yeshua is talking in a particular context there about hand washing is you know you're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men you know the commandments of god are as we we have them in the torah and expanded through the prophets and through the mashiach through the apostles and you know you get those very clear message you know you could say that when you like you interview people you have a a first source, a first level source. You've got second level sources. Then you're starting to get into hearsay after a while. So yeah. there are first level sources as, you know, commandment, the, the, what we read today, words from God down through and words from, you know, the, the son of God down. Then you've got the second level sources, the ones that they commissioned to send. You've got Moshe. And then you've got the uh, the other major prophets, the the apostles down there. You know, you can trust that they are the faithful and true witnesses of of what they're hearing. Then you've got everything below that is starting to get down into the traditions of men, and um, you know, as uh, Daniel's father always get at you, you hold tightly to the things that are the first level witnesses and. 
the second level witnesses, the ones you can truly trust. Everything else you hold very lightly onto it because so that means if you make a decision based on something that isn't clearly defined you're you're going to be you're kind of going to be okay with the lord because it's not clearly defined so there's room for there's room for interpretation it's one person's tradition as as is uh you know called in uh rabbinical literature is uh the halacha which is the way of walking and the halachot or the ways of walking the instructions the traditions so uh, there are people that come up with great ideas on how to walk, and they're very fruitful, but you just have to keep an eye on that they are ways of walking. So mm. um, perhaps that is the, the good way to walk. Perhaps it isn't. But it's it's kind of like, you know, do you, uh, you um, as it's uh, brought up in the Gospels about binding and loosening, those are terms you find in rabbinical literature about binding people to saying you know almost a thus says the lord but it's still in tradition and loosening is um no that's that doesn't ap- apply to you or a ruling that uh, doesn't apply to you so you must be very very careful in the things that you bind and that you loosen and mm-hmm. and be extremely careful in that. That's why Paul, in one of his letters, you know, rails against people who teach the Torah but have no idea what they're talking about. Because what mm-hmm. are they doing? They're getting into the realm of binding and loosening things that they don't understand. So mm-hmm. we have to be extremely careful in in those things and hold hold loosely to them. Because no. traditions, yes, Howard. Jeff, I was going to say, I, I kind of feel out of depth when I I listen to you guys talking a lot of the time, but um, I just want to jump in here and, and, and say that I think if you're trying, if you're, if you're trying to get after it and you're trying to do the right thing, and I think I may have heard this here before, that, you know, God looks on us as his children. And when you're watching your children trying to grow trying to mm-hmm. do the right thing they when they're trying to walk they Yay. stumble and fall they <laughs> that's right you know, they fall on their butt a lot or on their face but they get up and they keep going and you don't yell at them and scream at them and condemn them for failing you know you're encouraging them you know to that's, keep getting after it that's right and that's right? that's why in a lot of these these uh, passages you see in Revelation two and three, what is the we read it there with Laodicea? What is the way that many of these things end with? To him who overcomes, the overcoming mm-hmm. is going to take take a lot of lessons that are learned sometimes the hard way. But what is your trajectory? Are you overcoming, or are you giving up, giving in? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep getting after it. Yeah, and I love it that I love it that he says in there those he loves he disciplines. So he that's right. He he says, look, I'm telling you this because I love you. Yep. I love you. I love you even in your lukewarm state. I don't want to spit you out. I'm telling you, come on over here, get closer to me, get your passion back on. Remember your first love, and let's let's carry on. Because well, I think awesome. that your desire warms you up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's 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 why it's just so important about the whole new heart to get that desire, the 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 deepest desire within you reoriented. 
yeah. to relight your furnace. Yeah. Great. Because I think it's kind of a it's kind of a strange dichotomy. The the more I get closer to the God, the more I feel distant from him. It's kind of a strange How is that? Well, you, the more I realize that I need him, the more I realize how far away from him I oh, am. I see. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And, and also, and, he re he requires more of you as you know more. So, and, and, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's also, you know, in in the, the the one case, like you're saying that the the more you get to know him, the more you know that you need to. So what Paul gets out in Romans chapter seven about you know when you start looking at the law and looking at yourself, you go, oh wow. Um, but one of the very encouraging things that you see in the letter to the Hebrews, which is a fantastic, um, a fantastic unpacking of the Day of Atonement of Yom Kippur and what the, the key lesson of all that is. But one of the, the key punchlines that you get in that in uh, Hebrews chapter 9 is that you can go with confidence through the veil. You can go confidence. Just like we saw the illustration earlier about um, the role of the priesthood, the role of the tabernacles to take people closer to God, but realize that they need to be transformed along the way. They need to be transformed. They can't just walk in. They need to be transformed at the altar, and their offering then goes in before them. So just like what they're saying, the ultimate offering of the Mashiach then takes us through the veil into the very presence of uh, the creator of heaven and earth. But we can go through with confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in the one who takes us there. That mm. if we trust that that one who takes us will take us all the way into the presence of God. It's not like um, with some cases, if you drop off a package and you just hope that it arrives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the days before the, the tracking numbers, you know, you put it in there. It's like, uh, keep calling people or just writing letters. Uh, did you receive it? Uh, well, maybe, maybe not. Sometimes they got lost. But in this case, we have confidence that when we put our um, trust in that the Yeshua will take us through to the presence of God, that that is indeed what will happen. But, you know, in like we're reading with the um, the New Covenant prophecies, is that this is something that calls for you know the new heart, the new desires, the Spirit of God to to push us along in that that direction to know the Lord more fully, and then a part of that confidence is to know that those iniquities of our old life, the things that separated us from the presence of God, that God remembers those things no more. Mm. That thus we can have a clean conscience, as uh, Hebrews talks about, have our consciences sprinkled with the mm. blood of Mashiach, that we can mm. truly go in with no stain of our old life, that we can be like, as you see in Genesis, where the man and the woman, that they, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Then you see later on, when they decided to go after the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the good and bad, that suddenly there was something between them and God, and then they were ashamed. Mm -hmm. Very similar to what we just read with Laodicea, that at least in this case, the, the first couple, they realized they were naked, 
the people in Laodicea, they had no idea that they were naked and mm -hmm. they just didn't really care. So mm -hmm. we ourselves, we, we realize that, hey, we, we need the Lord. We need the Lord's covering and removal. And when that happens, thus we can you know, go into the presence and we long for the eventual time when the dwelling place of God will be with mankind, that we will be able to um, be with the Lord face to face. Mm. So, hallelujah for when that time comes. Mm. Any other uh, thoughts as we wrap up here today? All right, well, close the prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us the, the good news through all of your servants throughout time and for giving us the true and faithful witness of you through your son, Yeshua. We thank you for allowing us to come into your presence with confidence through his blood to cover over our sins, transgressions, and iniquities and to remember our sins no more. Father, we thank you for all this good news you've given us. And we thank you for the new creation you're making in us. We thank you for all these things in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L -L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel